0: And so we're so happy about that. But as we, as we think about what this weekend stands for, it's a perfect lead-in to the time we'll spend together talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And um, so we won't be speaking specifically about Easter, but everything we will talk about was made possible by Easter, by the sacrifice that Jesus made. So uh, I hope you came ready to learn and to participate There'll be times when I'm asking you to talk to each other and then tell me what you come up with as a group or as a pair. And hopefully that will get your minds working and your hearts burning. Those are the goals that we have for this weekend, right? For our minds to work and our hearts to burn. So let's just uh, pray as we start tonight. Lord God, we are so thankful to just come to the end of a busy week and to be able to look forward to the rest that you have planned for us from the beginning of creation. Thank you, Lord, so much for the gospel, the good news that we have in Jesus Christ and for the suffering and the sacrifice that he went through so that we could be alive, not just alive in our bodies today, but alive in our spirits for eternity to share in his kingdom. Lord, we're just so thankful for that, for the sacrifice that you made. And we thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you sent your only Son into the world to die for us so that any one of us who would believe would not perish but have eternal life. Now, Lord, as we study your Word, as we think about what it means to be your disciple, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that the message that you have for each of us, we would see and we would hear as we spend time together this weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so the word discipleship is where we're going to start because it's a word that is very commonly used and because of it it can kind of just become a cliche or we think that we understand what it means because we never really think about it there's a lot of words that we have in our language that are like that right things that we just say and use every day without really thinking about what it means and so i just want to start there tonight and talk about this word Can you see that? It's kind of light. Let me try a darker one here. (laughs) Is that any better? Okay, so I just want to start by asking a question. What do you think that is? And anybody can throw out an answer. There are no wrong answers, we're brainstorming. Have you ever been in a brainstorming session? It means that there are no um, wrong answers. We're just gonna put it up there and see where we are as a group, okay? So what do you think that is? Discipleship. A messenger for a leader. Okay, a messenger for a leader. Anyone else? A worker for Christ, okay? Spreading the word. Spreading the word. Like the characteristics of a disciple, like a Characteristics of a disciple, I like that. A teacher? The ship makes me think of a relationship. Okay, so we're looking at the ship here. I like that. Okay. Okay. Helpful listener. So it has something to do with other people? Yes. Okay? That's a major theme in in what I'm hearing from all of you, isn't it? Leading others to Christ? Okay? These are all great answers. And they all are part of what discipleship is. But where I want to go is strangely enough where the pastor has taken us. (laughs) And I like that. The discipleship ought to remind us of something that's familiar to us and that is relationship, relationship. In fact, whenever we see this word ship, we can be pretty certain that it involves some kind of relational element, okay? So um, yes, yeah, so you, you start thinking about it and you'll, <laughs> you'll see that that happens. So ship, we're gonna talk about relationship, but I also wanna talk about what this word here means. Okay, so we had a lot of definitions that involves something going out from us to others, right? And that is true. That is part of discipleship, but it's not the first part of discipleship, okay? So the most basic, basic, basic definition of discipleship, who, someone over here said teacher. Who was that? Somebody. Oh, you did. Okay. Somebody said teacher, and that's true. Discipleship, half of it, Is this okay? Half of it is this. So if you have a teacher, what do you need? Okay, a student. Okay, do you see a ship happening here? A relationship is happening here. So discipleship is a teacher student relationship, that's what it is. A teacher-student relationship. Where there is a teacher and a student, and the student is called a? Disciple. Disciple. The student is called a disciple, and the teacher is generally, according to old customs, is called what? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Probably in our modern times we would call the boss, but a master, the master. And in fact, we still give out master's degrees, don't we? And when you become a master, You are qualified to teach, right? So a master's degree just literally means that you are advanced in your study, in your field of study, and probably equipped to be a teacher or take on students. So discipleship, if someone were to ask you, what is discipleship, could you answer that now? Mm -hmm. What is it? A (laughs) teacher-student relationship. Okay, so the main thing that we're going to look at, we're gonna use the Bible to tell us a very biblical definition of what discipleship is. What is that relationship between the teacher and student? Who is the teacher? Who is the student? How does that relationship work? Okay, so this is this is the, the very beginning point that we have to understand that in this relationship somebody is teaching and somebody is learning. 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 Okay, somebody is teaching and somebody is learning so if you are going to be this what do you have to do first be this right if you're gonna be this the very first thing you must do is this right so who is in the discipleship relationship who is this a lot of times we forget this and we think that discipleship is us here and someone else here okay and we we do that now that comes that part comes that is part of discipleship but only after you have started right here and by the way you never graduate from this school never okay you never graduate from this school you may become this for someone who is not as far along in the journey as you but you will never be at the top of this line right there is one who is the teacher and we are all his disciples okay so then this is us right here that's where we're going to start So um, i'm going to share with you two of my favorite bible passages on discipleship. And I I like to call these two passages the bookends of discipleship. And it's in the book of Matthew, which I like to call the book of discipleship. The book of discipleship, the book of Matthew, which is the first gospel in, in the New Testament that's in the order of the New Testament, the first gospel. And do you know what a gospel is? It's good news. But in in regard to the books of the Bible that we call the Gospels, why do we call them that? What are they? Okay, they are the stories of Jesus. They're the story of his life and teachings as recorded by his apostles or people who decided to write it down, right? So the Gospels tell the story of Jesus. Is that a good thing when we want to learn about discipleship? Yes, why? Because who is he? He's the teacher. So we kind of need to know who he is and what he teaches in order for us to be able to be his students, his disciples. So let's turn in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. We could even go through 22 here. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20 or 22. And this is... The place in the Bible, in the scriptures, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus, it's recorded him calling his first disciples. So if we're going to learn about discipleship, shouldn't we learn about how Jesus himself called his disciples and what it was he offered them and what it was he asked them to do, right? So let's start right here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So why were they casting a net? Because that's their job. They're fishermen, right? And what does Jesus say to them? Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. How did these two brothers respond? Okay, what does your Bible say? Immediately or at once. Does anyone's? Okay, I ran out of room down there. So straight away, at once. So what does that communicate to you? How much time passed from the time that Jesus made the invitation? Immediately, they left their nets and followed him then let's keep going going on from there he saw two other brothers James the son of Zebedee and his brother John they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets Jesus called them and how long did it take them immediately Immediately. they left the boat and their father and followed him okay Let me ask you a question. Have there ever been circumstances in your life that you immediately dropped what you were doing and changed your direction immediately? It doesn't have to be spiritual. I'm just asking you to think about any time or any relationship or anything that ever happened in your life that was so important that immediately at once, or what was the other one? Straight away, you dropped what you were doing and changed course. Anybody willing to share? Chris was getting run over by a car. He oh. oh. needed their plans changed. We the, the emergency room. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty important, right? So what could we call that? Trauma? Trauma. <laughs> We could call that trauma. That's a good reason to respond immediately isn't it? (coughs) Yes? I work in the medical field and there are circumstances where you are in a crisis and you take whatever you would normally be doing and you stop and you change immediately to deal with a crisis. Crisis. Anybody ever had one of those? (laughs) Does stop you in your tracks doesn't it? You respond immediately. Anybody else? Any other stories? Any other kind of things? I was painting some prints outside of a two story, and I was on the porch. My wife and she had a daycare thing. And I just jumped off the with The baby was dead. Oh, no. Would that make you stop immediately? Respond immediately? Okay. Hey, 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 we need those simple things when dinner is ready. So what should we call that? Should we call that desire or need, right? I I mean, most of these are also about relationship, aren't they? But there are special people for whom you will stop what you're doing as soon as they call, right? So what in the world do you think was going on with these brothers? that they're in the midst of their lives doing what they are supposed to be doing. They're fishermen. Not only are they fishermen, but the second set of brothers, it says that their father is also a fisherman. And in the time and place where they lived, it was very likely that fishermen were in generation upon generation before them, right? But what in the world happens that they respond to the call of Jesus immediately? What do you think is going on there? It was the R and G is the following. What if he was he a stranger to them? I don't know. They must have had some prior relationship with him because otherwise it would just be an impulsive thing. It sure sounds impulsive, doesn't it? Mm. Okay, dad, see ya! <laughs> You know, if I did that to my dad, he wouldn't be very happy about it. He's probably counting on those young men to help him bring in the fish, support the family business, be the livelihood for the rest of the family, right? Yet they pick up and they leave. Okay, sure, curiosity. Ever? Have you ever been rubbernecking on the road? You give your immediate attention to what is happening out there with all the flashing lights and crunched vehicles and other things. So curiosity is another reason. Maybe it was all of these. Maybe it was all of these that made these brothers drop what they were doing immediately. Because what did they see when Jesus called? if they're going to respond to him immediately like that, what are they, what are they responding to? Okay. They must perceive that they need it, right? Or that they want it. Otherwise they wouldn't leave there. They need or want whatever he's offering them. And maybe they realize that it's more than just a desire It's a crisis, maybe. Did you know that every call creates a crisis? Did you know that? Every call creates a crisis. The crisis are just different, but it's a crisis of decision that every call makes. So if I am just calling to you from across the room and I say, hey, right? You have to decide right now. Okay, thank you, thank you. So I created a crisis where you had to make a decision to either respond or ignore me. right? And what am I asking for when I'm waving to you across the room? Attention. attention. I'm just simply asking for your attention. So it's a, it's a crisis of your attention. Are you going to continue to be focused on what you're focused on or are you going to give your attention to me? Okay. So what if I call you on your phone? So I'm not just waving across the room. I call you on your phone. Do I create a crisis? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because why? <laughs> because you are already focused on something and you have to decide whether or not you're going to focus. Now we have two layers. I'm asking for two things now, not just your attention. What am I asking for? Your attention and what else? When you're on the phone with me, what am I asking you for? Your attention And your time. Right? Because a, a wave like this doesn't take much. Seconds. But if you're like me, you look at that number, and you say, who is this? And you say, I know by, by this number, this is going to take 5, 10 minutes, an hour, right? And you get to decide how much time you have right then and there. And then you decide whether or not you're going to take that call. Because you know that this is going to take your time. It's going to take your time. So what if I'm single? I'm not, by the way. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. My husband and I will celebrate 19 years of marriage in May. Can you believe it? We, we can't believe it either. Uh, okay, so if I were a single person, I'll also say I'm a single young man, although I'm not. And I were to come up to you, Brooke, <laughs> and I were to say, Brooke, we have such great conversation. I would love to spend more time with you. Would you be interested yes. in <laughs> going out on a date with me and getting to know each other better? Am I supposed to answer this? Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> immediate response would be talk to my dad. <laughs> talk to my dad, okay. There's a higher authority there in this relationship. But if I were to ask someone to give me their attention and their time, and what am I asking for if I'm going to ask for that? It's more than time and attention, isn't it? It's okay, it's a commitment. Is dinner included? Yes. Yes, dinner is included. So it's a commitment, but all of these are commitments, aren't they? When I ask for your attention, it's a commitment of your attention. When I ask for your time, it's a commitment that you make to give me your time. When I'm asking for you to spend time with me and to begin to have sentiments, right? That's a deeper commitment, isn't it, than attention and then time? If I'm asking you to be special in my life. That's a much greater level of commitment. It's emotional. I'm asking for emotional commitment. And then say, Brooke, things go really well with our dates. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was the and, and the big day comes and the big question and I just, well say, whoever that young man is says, oh man, I cannot live without Brooke. I have got to ask her to spend the rest of her life with me. So if if someone were to ask that question, what are they asking for? A commitment of what? Your life. Your life. A commitment of your life. So there's varying levels of commitment, but every single one of them begins with a call or an invitation. Every call creates a crisis of commitment. Every single one on varying levels, don't they? So, Jesus is making a call to these young men. And something about that crisis inspires them to drop what they're doing and follow him. Maybe they, I'm pretty sure they did know him before. We have some historical evidence that they had been hanging around John the Baptist. They had possibly been present at Jesus' baptism, and they heard what John proclaimed about him. So it wasn't the first time that they ever saw him, but whatever they knew about him was enough for them to stop what they were doing and immediately follow him. Maybe it was curiosity. Has curiosity ever been a good motivator? Yes! Great things can happen out of curiosity, and terrible things can happen out of curiosity too. But curiosity can be a decent reason to, to explore something, to try something. How about this? We already talked about that. They must have had, had a need or a desire that was going to be met by following Jesus. And I don't, I don't know about the trauma, I don't know, but we do know that at that time, in Israel's history, they were captive peoples of a big empire, the Roman Empire and they felt oppressed and they felt invaded upon. They felt violated. Do you think that that creates something like a trauma? They were searching for hope. Have you ever been in a situation where you were just desperate for hope? That's a traumatic situation where you're desperate for hope. So we don't have to pick one of these reasons that these brothers responded to Jesus, but they did. For any one of these or any combination of these reasons, their response was immediate. The same reasons that we would respond to something immediately were in their hearts. And they did. So let's see what Jesus is asking them to do and what he says to them. He says, come, follow me. Well, did they do that? Yes. So he says, come, follow me. And I will do what? Oops. Mm -hmm. He says, you follow me and I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. Now, what were these brothers? Who were they? They were fishermen. fishermen. So as he's saying, I'm going to make you something completely different than than who you are. You're going to leave your whole identity behind is that what he's saying no why were they casting their nets because they were fishermen fishermen. and Jesus says come follow me I'm gonna make you into what fishermen (laughs) fishers of men so you get to keep part of your your unique identity but I'm gonna transform you into something that you have never imagined that you could be yes Okay. These are kids. Young. Okay. Young yeah, people. I mean, these are kids. You're about right not old people, you know. You so maybe we should have wrote impulse down here, right? <laughs> if they were teenagers, it could have just been pure impulse. We don't know. We have teenagers in the room? Yeah, yeah? <laughs> okay. So that's a good point that you make. Because sometimes I think that the younger we are. The easier it is to respond to an invitation, especially one that God is making. Because sometimes we get stuck in our ways, we get comfortable, we get content, we get stubborn. And these things happen naturally. As the years go by. And not a lot of years have to go by, by the way, for that to happen. But Jesus says, Come and follow me. This is an invitation to what kind of relationship? Discipleship. And he says, I will teach you. Is that what he says? No. I will make you. So when we're talking about a discipleship relationship with Jesus, it's more than your everyday, standard, regular discipleship relationship. Okay? You're not following Jesus simply to learn. You are following Jesus to be transformed. To be made into something by Him. That's why this is special. You know there were lots of teachers and rabbis and all kinds of things during the time of Jesus. In fact that's the way you did anything back then. You became an apprentice. Or you joined a rabbinical school, and I'll tell you what, being able to follow a rabbi or to be a student of a rabbi was a very high competitive honor. Have you ever made an application to get into medical school? Me neither. I I haven't done that either. But I hear that it's a tough application process. Are there any other kinds of careers that you might find it difficult to compete with all the people that are applying for that same thing vet school law school any school where they have a limited number of people that they can take into that program right they take only the best of the best the most qualified and man if you could get into those schools you had something to be proud about really something to be proud of but look where Jesus goes to get his disciples where does he go right there where the muck and the smell of fish and the sunburn right there where the hard working people are is he different than the other rabbis yeah that's different that's not what the rabbis did they made you jump through hoops they made you them. You know, whoever could give them the most or make them look the best were the ones that they chose to be their students. And Jesus is strangely different. He's strangely different. He goes and he gets the fishermen. Now not that they were any slack people in that society by the way. Because when you think about where they lived right there on the Sea of Galilee I would think that fishing was pretty big business. So maybe they were hard-working people, but I also think they might have come from a wealthy background. I don't know, hard-working and wealthy, but if you're thinking you live by the sea, everybody that lives here eats fish, we fish, we sell fish, everybody buys fish, right? You start to think, okay, they could be, it could, could be a pretty lucrative business. They own boats, they, they own their business. That's a pretty big deal, right? So you see now how we're kind of saying that disciples of Jesus can be all different kinds of people. They might be wealthy. They might just be hardworking people. They might be business owners. They might be young people just training in the, in the footsteps of their parents. They could be any of those things represented by um, the businesses of the, that these young men represent. So let's talk about it for a second. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men fishers of men so in order to be fishers of fish what did these guys need (laughs) that's right well the the bible tells us here what were they working with right then they dropped it okay so they were working with their nets so what were these nets we've kind of hit on it a little bit for these young men these nets represented some things Right, we already talked about, what's that? Yes, livelihood. Well, we also said, why were they casting their nets? Because they were fishermen. That's their identity, right? That's just who they are. What else? So if the rest of the community needs what they have, does that maybe give them a little social status? This might be their status, in society, it was brutal work. backbreaking labor. Maybe that's why they dropped their nets and ran after <laughs> Jesus. They were like, "I'm out of here!" The sunscreen is worn off, and these fish stink, right? So these nets were important. They were important things to these young men. Yet, at Jesus' invitation, that they were going to be transformed. They are willing not to just give up their fishing nets, but what the fishing nets represent? Their livelihood, their identity, their status. Are these things important to us as people? How much of our lives do we spend developing, pursuing, managing these things? It consumes us, doesn't It doesn't matter who we are. This stuff consumes us. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, it's interesting to note that nets, in general, are instruments of entrapment and death. Are they not? Instruments of entrapment and death. So maybe we could also equate these kinds of things as instruments of entrapment and death. Have you ever felt that in your pursuit of life? Livelihood, identity, status, have you ever felt? Entrapment and death? I have. Man, it can suck the life right out of you to make these things your number one priority. And we do it all the time because we don't know how else to live. If we stop doing this, we might lose our material goods. We might harm our family. We might, you know what I'm saying? We need to to care about Providing for ourselves and having livelihood and identity. Boy, that's important. If I don't have my, if I don't know who I am, then what can I do? What can I accomplish, right? And status, well, in a good way, status might give me influence over other people. So status isn't always bad, but sometimes status is just about us. Just about ego and pride and credit or whatever else. But Jesus says, leave those nets behind, those instruments of entrapment and death, and I will make you fishers of men, agents of life and liberty. Now, I don't think those brothers really understood what Jesus was inviting them to, but they understood that it was into a relationship. So not only is discipleship, what's the definition of discipleship? Yes, a teacher-student relationship not only is it a teacher-student relationship, but the Bible tells us that it is a, what kind of relationship? Yes. It is a relationship of transformation. A relationship of transformation. So what is discipleship? Number one, it is a teacher-student relationship. And what kind of relationship is it? A relationship of transformation. So if somebody asks you, what is discipleship? Are you prepared to answer that question? What is it? Okay, a relationship of transformation. Now I know it seems like we're repeating that an awful lot, but science has shown that you have to repeat something three to five times in order for it to stick in people's minds. Do you think I want that to stick in your mind? Yes, I do. Okay, so discipleship is a teacher-student relationship and it is a relationship of transformation. Now, I want to make a distinction between a relationship of transformation and something else that often gets mistaken for discipleship, okay? Because there are counterfeits out there. Do you believe that? Now, we're on varying levels of our knowledge of God and and the enemy of God and those kind of things, but I will tell you this, God has an enemy. He has an enemy, and this enemy wants to get God and get what is important to God and take it away from him. And so the enemy, the devil, Satan, has become very good at creating counterfeits. And not a counterfeit that is easily recognizable. It's a counterfeit by which even the most elect intellectual savvy, spiritual, whatever people can be fooled by. He's good. He takes the good things that God has created and he twists them just a little bit and creates a counterfeit. So what is this counterfeit for discipleship that we often mistake for discipleship that is often accepted in place of a Relationship of transformation. Are you convinced that this is a Biblical concept? Yes? So okay, so I'm going to write it on here and see if we agree, if you think that this could be a real problem. I'm going to kneel down on the floor so that I can write, okay? What do you think I'm going to write next? Can you see that? Who said it? My marker is kind of dying there, but what does it say? Transfer. Transfer of information. Transfer of information. This is often mistaken for discipleship. Transfer of information. It's very quiet in this room right now. Is that making you think a little bit? Transfer of information is often mistaken for discipleship, which is not a transfer of information, but it is a relationship of transformation. Is information part of discipleship? Yes, Yes it is. Well, because it's a teacher-student relationship, there has to be some curriculum, right? There is a transfer of information. But the ultimate goal and the, and the primary invitation is for what? The relationship of transformation. Not the transfer of information. Okay, not the transfer of information. So I want you to look up very quickly with me in the Gospel of John, just a couple books down from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to take a look at John chapter 5, verse 39, Five thirty-nine. John chapter 5, verse 39, and it says this. This is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to the religious leaders of his time, And he says to them, you diligently study the scriptures. What's that? Scriptures? Any of these words up here that we could say? Okay. Right here, right? You diligently study the scriptures. Now, the scriptures are a special kind of information, but they are information. Because you think that by them, by information, you possess... Eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. me. Who is he talking about? Okay. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Relationship. Right? The scriptures are not... About information. You can study the scriptures for information, he says, because you think that that's going to bring you eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And look what he says. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. What was the invitation that Jesus made to his first disciples? The first word was come, 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 follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know what? It still gives me goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps. This is not about a transfer of information. That's not Jesus' way. This is about a relationship between a teacher and a student that brings about transformation. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Who does the making? He does, does. does. is that gonna be important for us to remember? Because you know, if we're trying to make ourselves, transform ourselves, where does that road go? It might go somewhere for a little while But ultimately, we're going to run out of gas. We are not going to have what it needs to make this transformation for ourselves. History of humanity has proven it, don't you think? We cannot even love each other. We can't treat each other with dignity and respect. We can't even take care of ourselves. We abuse ourselves. So how in the world are we ever going to think That we can accomplish this by ourselves. It is not possible. Does that make you feel relieved? (laughs) Whoo! That is good news. Does anybody know what we're talking about here? We're talking about good news. That is good news. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you Fishers of Men. It's not just going to be a transfer of information. It is going to be a relationship of transformation. And I think one of the dangerous places that we find ourselves, and, and I have experienced this in my personal life and sometimes battle with it even currently in my life's existence, that I pursue this instead of this. Because the information's good, it's good stuff. I like it but does it change me no what changes me the relationship the relationship changes me so I'm going to draw a little picture here for us so that we can remember this okay when we're talking about coming to Jesus or learning about him obviously we're going to come to the scriptures aren't we but what are we looking for when we go to the scriptures are we looking for education we're disciples that means we're students are we looking for education maybe but is the primary thing that we're looking for no so I'm gonna draw two pictures here and they'll be kinda basic but you'll understand what I mean Let's see if you can figure out what that is. No, it's not a bird. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, (laughs) it's an open Bible, a banana peel. Yes, thank you. Thank you. My wonderful artistic abilities. Okay, that's a Bible. Um, Now you know. (laughs) I guess I wouldn't be good at fictionary. Um, This is a Bible. And I want us to get this picture in our minds so that we can remember what discipleship is all about okay I'm gonna draw another one right next to it maybe I can do a better one no it's gonna turn out just the same okay so Jesus says in John 5:39, what does he say you search the scriptures for by them you think you have eternal life you go for this right? And that's what this kind of looks like. Okay, we look at the Bible and all that stuff comes out there and and we get good information, right? We we look at the Bible, we get all this good education, this good information. What's the one problem with that that Jesus points out in John 5:39? He says you don't come to me for what? life Life. okay so is there life at the end of this journey this information journey No. no he says you come here to study the scriptures because you think by them you have eternal life but these are the scriptures that testify about me so who is he you recognize these two symbols what Jesus is saying. You see what I'm doing there? All of the scriptures are pointing to what? You think you study the scriptures for by them you think you have eternal life. These are the scriptures, how many of them? That do what? testify about me. So do we go to the Bible for education or relationship? So when I go to the Word of God I'm looking for information but I'm looking for a specific kind of information. What kind of information am I looking for? information about Jesus information about Jesus do you think I'm just saying that (laughs) let's look at a a little well-known story But I love this story in the book of Luke book of Luke chapter 24 chapter 24 and this is appropriate because this was Easter weekend of Jesus of actual Easter <laughs> Easter weekend of actual Easter the passion has happened Jesus has been captured he has been beaten he has been tried he has been crucified he has been buried and how are his disciples feeling about this time it's a crisis people this is no This is a crisis. A crisis. Their hopes are dashed. They don't know what's gonna happen next. Their their dreams, their hopes, their future is crushed. Have you ever felt those circumstances in your own life? Where everything you were hanging your hope on was suddenly gone and you didn't know what to do? To some degree or another, you've lost your hope. You've been disappointed and discouraged. I've been there. So were Jesus' disciples. And in this chapter, Luke chapter 24, we come down to verse 13. And it says, now that same day, and this is the same day that the disciples went to the tomb Sunday morning. They went to the tomb. And the tomb was empty. And they didn't know what to make of it. Now we, we think of the tomb being empty and what do we do? Woohoo! because we know, right? We know the end of the story, but they didn't. They were living it right then and there and they were like, he's gone. We don't know what to do. And, and his disciples were doing all kinds of things, but here are these two. There were two disciples who were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They had been in Jerusalem for the celebration. All this stuff had happened with Jesus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Now there's something you might have noticed in the first passage we read in Matthew chapter 4. What's the first thing that happens in that passage? Do Do you need to look at it again? Matthew chapter four, verse eighteen. Matthew four, eighteen. What is Jesus doing? Okay, he is walking. Where does he walk to? He comes to them. He comes right to where they're at, and he says, hey, (laughs) come follow me, right? Jesus is walking. He's walking. He comes right to where they are, and he calls them as his disciples. So all this has happened. The ministry of Jesus, the three years that he spent with his disciples, the crucifixion, the, the burial, the resurrection, it's all happened. Only they're confused. They don't know what's going on. And what is the first thing that Jesus does? As they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, as they talked and dis- discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. What's about to happen? What happened when Jesus came up and walked along with them in, in Matthew? All of those things. He's about to call them back into relationship with him, isn't he? That's what he does when he goes out walking. He's looking for relationship. He's looking for connection. He's gonna call you by your name. He's gonna come right to where you are. In your circumstances where you are, he's gonna walk right along beside you. That's what Jesus does. He goes walking. And where does he walk? Right to you. He walks right to you. He comes to where you are. And here he comes up to these two disciples, but he ke- they were kept from recognizing him. So they didn't know it was Jesus. And look at this exchange. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only visitor? In Jerusalem and do not know that the what things have happened there in these days? In other words, like you are not from around here, man, are you? I mean, seriously, are you the one person in the world that does not know what just happened? Don't you know these things that have happened there in these days? And how does Jesus respond? What, what things does Jesus know? yeah he knows but what does he do for these two disciples that are discouraged and walking along the road he comes along first and he walks beside them and then they said hey I mean don't you know what's going on in my life right now I mean you're not from around here are you don't you know are you just a visitor that you're the only one in the world who doesn't know and he says tell me They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. Who said he was alive? Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Him they did not see. So who else isn't seeing him right now? (laughs) Those two standing right there. And he's right in front of their face. But him they did not see. Now I want us to notice something in this passage that we just read where they reply there at the middle of verse 19 when Jesus said what things? <coughs> see if you can notice what's going on here. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. Were they right? Yeah. Did they have the right information? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, they had the right information. Yes, they did, they had the right information. What didn't they have? See if these next verses will tell you. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sent to death and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place in addition, some of our women amazed us. Who? Some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They came to told us about what they had seen in the vision and who, uh, of angels who said he was alive. Then who else? Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him that they did not see. Where are they getting their story from? So they have the information. What do they not have? They're getting it from the women, from our companions. From, do you see what's happening? And Jesus knows. And what does he do? He comes right there. You're not getting away from me, he says. Right? Tell me what things. And he identifies a problem. He identifies the problem that their experience with him is basically second hand they believe it they're convinced information is good they're right about who he is but listen to their story as they tell it whose story is it is it theirs the women told us our companions told us right is it their story no it is not their story it is not their story And Jesus says to them in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now we started reading this because we were talking about this, right? And we're talking about John 5.39 where Jesus says you study the scriptures because you think that by them you're going to get eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about who? Me. Me. And look what he does when he realizes that they don't have their own story. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Does that give you goosebumps? Woo! Concerning himself. This is what Jesus does for and with his disciples. He is not after education, my friends. He is after a relationship. And we can have all the right information and still be missing something when the critical moment comes. The most important thing. I love that. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So when you are coming to the Bible, to the scriptures, I'm just going to ask you, does this picture change for you what you are looking for when you're spending time in the word of God? It does for me. I have spent many years and many hours doing this and there's been a lot of good the only place where the life comes is right here it's right here you need to go to the scripture for relationship not for education because as good as education is and I believe in education I believe in us knowing what we believe and knowing who Jesus is but it's not just knowledge it's a knowledge of him It's a relationship with him that is the discipleship relationship. That's the one where Jesus says, I will make you. That's the one that changes us. Have you ever felt maybe that your life wasn't changing fast enough? Have you ever been discouraged because you have struggled with something so long and it doesn't change and it doesn't change? If you were to look at this picture, what is it that's missing if transformation isn't happening. Is it information? If only I could just understand this information better. If only I could just change my behavior. If only I could, right? Jesus says you can't. (laughs) You can't. Follow me and I will make you. Be in a relationship with me. And how do we do that? We understand that the scripture does not bring us life, but that it points us to Jesus, who is the source of life. And that is what being a disciple is all about. We let Jesus be our teacher. We let him be our maker and our transformer through our interaction with the word and with the people around us and through our life experience, allowing Jesus to journey with us, right next to us, wherever we are. Are you at your job? Guess what? Jesus knows where you work. Are you in your home? Jesus knows where you live. Are you walking down a long road with all of your thoughts, distractions, discouragements, crushed hopes? Jesus knows that road. And he is going to walk along with you. And if you do not have a relationship with you, he will give you an opportunity to have one. Look at what it says. After he explained to them through all the scriptures about himself, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as as if he was going further. They're turning into their home, and he's like, okay, he's going to keep going. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. Stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I'm going to ask you a question. When was the last time you felt that way about your devotional time? When was the last time you were like, oh, God, five more minutes, ten more, stay? It doesn't happen that often for us, does it? And maybe it's because we're looking for the wrong result out of that devotional time. Maybe we think we're doing a favor for God, maybe we're looking for information, maybe we're looking for a soul catharsis, you know, we just need to feel good about ourselves, that we did some good thing. Stay with us. Stay with us. And he did. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread. Gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. When did they recognize him? When he broke the bread. right? And when did we see him doing that? Does anybody know? In that same exact... Right then, at the Last Supper, where he told them what that meant. What it represented, this is my body that was broken for you. This is my blood that is poured out for you. Take, eat, right? And he does it again. What is it? It's another invitation. And when they see it, their eyes are opened and they recognize him. You know, when you spend time with Jesus and when you allow him to teach you about himself, you will know him better you will begin to recognize him in your life. And what does it say? They asked each other. He just disappears. That's kind of strange. But he just, boop, he's gone. They recognize him, whoosh, and he's gone. What does that tell you about Jesus' purpose for this meeting? Their own. And once it happened, He's like, okay, what are you going to do with that? (laughs) So here's what they do with it. Here's what they do with it. And this is where the biblical picture of discipleship happens. So these guys had information. That's one level of discipleship, don't you think? That's one level. It's a good level. It's a level that can lead into a a nicer, better, deeper level. But it's not the level that you want to stay on. So Jesus is like, okay, these guys have the right information. Now they need to have the right relationship, and they do. He teaches them all about himself. They recognize him, and they asked each other, "Were not our hearts burning within us while well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us?" Then they got up, and what did they do? They returned at once. Recognize those words? When do people do that? Oh my goodness, this is important. They returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, it is true. How do they know it's true? They experienced it for themselves. It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, When the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized with them when he broke the bread, then they told what had happened to them on the way and what Jesus had done. That's a picture of discipleship. First you are a student and then you are a teacher. Now right now in their story they're only teaching one thing, one very simple thing that all of us have right now. Do you know what that is? Their own story. Their own story. That's the best place to start when sharing the good news about Jesus. Because if you don't know why it's good news to you, How are you going to tell someone else why it's good news to them, right? You can have all the right information. Hey, it's good news. Jesus died for our sins. That's good news. And they're like, okay. (laughs) But if you say, let me tell you what happened to me, right? They're like, really? That's the story that you can tell. And that's not just a story. That is a testimony. Do you know what the difference between a story and a testimony is? Your story is your experience. Your testimony is when your story and God's story became the same story. That's your testimony. That's not just any old story. That is a testimony. That is a witness. What do you need in order to be a witness in a court of law? An experience. They're not just going to call you in because you read the paper and say, you read the paper. Tell us what happened. Well, I wasn't there. Well, you are not a credible witness. In order to be a witness and have a testimony that is credible, you have to have an experience. And that's what Jesus was inviting these disciples to. And that is what he is inviting you and I to. An experience with him. A relationship with him and we're going to spend the rest of this weekend, well, tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon, talking, we've we've talked about the, the idea. Does that idea get you excited? That gets me excited. We've talked about the idea, and we're going to move into the experience. How do we get this experience? I can give you a clue, it involves this right here. Okay, if you are not, Spending time right here, you're not getting education or relationship or a firsthand experience. Now, I'm sure that Pastor Godfrey is a wonderful person and well educated and spiritual and a godly man, a good pastor, but he cannot be a disciple for you. You must have your own experience and let me tell you something, Jesus is walking with you in your life right now, right now. He is calling you, he is inviting you to a firsthand experience with him right now. Not Pastor Miranda's experience, not Brooke's experience, not your spouse's experience, not your parents' experience, not your companions, not your friends, nobody's but yours. He's calling you to that experience. And he's saying, come and follow me, and I will make you. I will make you. Are you willing to give up your identity? Or I shouldn't even say give it up. I shouldn't even say give it up. Because all Jesus is asking is that you have your identity, your livelihood, your status in him. Not in yourself. Because he didn't tell those brothers, don't be fishermen, did he? He says, come follow me, I'll make you fishermen, fishers of men. So he's saying, find your identity in me. I want to change you. I want to make you into something special. So hopefully, you come back. We spend the rest of the weekend together because we'll have a lot of practical things for you to use. To have this experience so that we can get past education, which is not a bad thing. This is good, but it's, it's just a, it's the first step. And it's an important step. It's a really important step. Because if the, if the disciples hadn't known anything about Jesus, do you think they would have dropped their nets and followed him? No. So they had a little bit of this. They had a little bit of information. Enough that when Jesus called, they were like, mm, okay. Right? So information, education isn't bad, but it's only the first step. It's the first little baby step. It's a good step, but it's not the end step. You can't stay there because it doesn't lead to life. Only Jesus leads to life. And we can find out about him through the pages of this book, the scripture, that testify about him. That's where we find life. That's where we find the relationship that changes us. So tomorrow morning during the Sabbath school time. I don't know what plans you have, but I encourage and invite you to come into the fellowship hall and continue this journey. And then I'll be preaching the Sabbath message that will be along these themes. This is the only thing I talk about, by the way. This is all I ever talk about. I don't talk about anything else. I talk about discipleship and Jesus because everything else is under that, everything. And the Bible tells me so, I'm going to show it to you tomorrow. Okay, are you ready? (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, We're done for tonight. Would you like me just to dismiss us with prayer? Okay. Lord God, we thank you so much that you come and walk with us. It's so hard for us to believe that you would do it. But Lord, I just pray that as we are walking on this journey together as a group this weekend, that we would feel your presence. Not only that, that we would hear the call, the invitation on our lives. That a crisis would be created, Lord. A crisis of commitment. How are we going to respond to your call? What are we going to do? Is tomorrow going to be different than today? And Lord, I just pray for each one in this room and for those who will be coming tomorrow. That your Holy Spirit will fill this place. That your Holy Spirit will bring them. For those who are wondering whether or not they're coming to church tomorrow. Lord, bring them. Draw them in with your Holy Spirit. Walk on the road with them and bring them here. And Lord, we just pray that as we spend this time together, that each and every one of us will be drawn closer to you and will have a firsthand one-on-one experience with you because we want to be transformed in a relationship. We don't just want the information, Lord. We want the life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.